Thou hast suffered great affliction, and hast borne it patiently. Even death by crucifixion, fully to atone for me. Thou didst choose to be tormented, that my doom should be prevented. Thousand, thousand thanks shall be, dearest Jesus, unto thee. Amen. The text that will form the basis of our meditation, our study on this Good Friday evening, are found in the Gospels of Mark and John. Reading first in Mark 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From John 19. Jesus said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And finally, from Mark 15. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. These are the verbally inspired words of our God, humbly on this sacred evening, asking him to bless us again through the study of these words, so we pray. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Fellow Christians, I suspect many of you struggle as I do to try to recognize how to commemorate this solemn occasion. It's arguably, in my judgment, the most difficult Blessed, to be sure, joyful, to be sure, but yet on this evening our Savior died. And our Savior, we recognize, died because I had sinned. I had broken His commandments. So it's difficult to determine what God deems appropriate for His children to feel, to express on this evening. Because when we look at the cross and we see our Savior hanging there, we recognize that he did not, though he died there, he did not stay dead. We know he rose from the dead on the third day. And so we see this, this symbol of suffering and death, knowing I caused it on the one hand. And on the other, we see it with profound joy and comfort because we recognize there my salvation was secured. There my sin debt was paid. That's why we can sing the words of the hymn we sang last evening and mean every word. The death of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we celebrate with one accord. It is our comfort in distress our heart's great joy and happiness. Yet the question remains, how would our God want to see us celebrate, commemorate? What emotion would he want us to display, sorrow or joy? 
Frustration or thanksgiving? Shame or relief? Or all of these? Probably all. But one rule of thumb we remember. When you look to the cross on Good Friday and seek to thank Him, do not thank Him for doing primarily what you could have done for yourself. You and I could have suffered. You and I could have been abandoned. We could have been tortured. We could have been crucified to death. We thank our Lord in particular for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. We thank Him for giving His life, that perfect sinless life, as the sum total, full and complete payment for the sins of the world. The devil, however, is not going to let any commemoration or celebration of Good Friday go unchallenged. As we were reminded yesterday, he has been astoundingly successful in his disinformation campaigns. He is very good at what he does, perverting and undermining even the simplest of Bible truths. Even the most straightforward words from our Savior, he somehow manages to twist human beings and manipulate and change those words to get them at times to say the exact opposite of what Jesus intended. And Good Friday is no exception. No matter how clearly Jesus spoke, and we believe he communicates to us in perfect clarity in his word, but yet no matter how clear, human beings are still so easily confused, easily misguided. We are truly sheep that love to wander. So it is that this evening we revisit Jesus' simple declaration at the moment of his death and ask ourselves, what does finished mean to me? To answer the question, we shouldn't need to devote any time at all to this, by the way, should we? But unfortunately we do because again, even the simplest truths we can find so confusing because we hear what others say and we hear society's chorus that, well, that's your opinion. Well, that's your understanding. Well, that's what you think it is, but I think it's this. And my opinion is, is as valid as yours. And we begin to waver, and we begin to doubt, and we begin to wonder, do I really have this right? Do I really know that I know what he said rather than what they think he said? So what did Jesus mean? What did he say and what did he mean? Well, let's look at some of the options. And to find the options, we go to the people who created the options. We go to society. We go to the world around us. And we examine what it is that they have come to believe Jesus said and meant when he said, it is finished. What does that mean to you? The first misunderstanding is that when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant my life is finished. Some would say, well, he meant my suffering is finished. 
In other words, he recognized his own impending imminent death. This is actually a half-truth, isn't it? And it's something of a poster child for the evil of half-truths. We tend to look at them as half-good and and half-bad, but half-good, God knows them by a different word, doesn't he? Lies. A half-truth is a lie. There's reason even our secular courts demand that their witnesses swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So the true part was that, of course, Jesus knew that he was going to die. And yet, is that all he meant? Is that all he said? By the way, there's an interesting thing here with that. Do you notice, have you ever noticed that in our text for this evening, for example, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit? The words indicate that Jesus really wasn't killed. He gave up his life. He said that several times. No one takes my life from me. I give it up. This is given to me by the Father. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. It's also probably why Pilate and also the Roman soldiers were so startled that his life ended when it did. Humanly speaking, a human body can linger for days on the cross. Jesus yielded up his life. So that was the true part. Of course Jesus knew that his life was coming to an end. The lie is that that's what Jesus was saying. And that's all that Jesus was saying. We'll see why. Above all else, when you step back and look at this understanding or misunderstanding of what Jesus meant and said... It trivializes, doesn't it, this world-changing, life-altering, momentous event and that momentous statement from Jesus. This is something you'd hear from those who know only this life and know nothing of the life that is to come, as though this is what they would say, as though this momentous thing at the end of life would say, my life is finished and die. A movie scene. Again, something the life well lived and bucket list crowd would use to trivialize this most solemn of all events in the history of the world. So there are those that don't recognize a spiritual component, and they hear Jesus saying, yep, my life is over. Those that recognize a spiritual component also present another option, another misunderstanding, another twisting or misunderstanding of what Jesus intended to say. What they believe he said was, my part is over. When he said it, he meant my part is finished. Now this is necessary to fit with the rest of their doctrine, which is that Jesus came to do his part, 
Now, depending on which denomination or which branch of the Christian church you follow, some say he did his part, but now you must do your part. One says, Jesus died and paid only for the sins with which you were born. Now you need to pay for the sins that you have actually committed, not the ones you inherited from your parents. Still others say Jesus did his part, but now you have to do yours. You have to decide to believe in him. You have to demonstrate the proper emotions at the right time. You have to tithe. You have to fill in the blank. You need to now do your part. And then the sum total of salvation is complete. Wouldn't Jesus have had to have said, my part is finished? This too is actually, again, a half-truth, isn't it? And a damning half-truth. The true part is that Jesus' work was completed. That's true. The lying, damning part is that his part wasn't all. So much confusion, so many different interpretations, as in so many clear passages of God's Word. What did Jesus actually say? How do we know? What did he mean by what he said? And how can we ever be certain that we're rightly understanding him? Well, let's stop asking other opinions and go and listen, really listen to what Jesus said. Let's hear it from Jesus and let Jesus explain to us what he meant. First of all, what Jesus actually spoke were not words, word, one word. And just so you know what it sounded like, it was a Greek word, and it sounded like this, to telestai. That's what you would have heard had you been standing at the foot of the cross moments before Jesus died. One word, to telestai. As you probably heard before, Greek is an incredibly complex and precise language, and there's a reason God used it in the New Testament to convey specifically and clearly the truths that we needed to learn. The grammar of this one word spoken by our Savior is critical to our correct understanding of what he said and what he meant, what he intended to communicate to us. And make no mistake, he intended us to hear it. I remember looking back and trying to find that the scripture might be fulfilled, so he said, I thirst. And I couldn't find any scriptural backing that, or prophecy that was fulfilled by that. And then I read somebody who said, but what he did next had to be fulfilled and it had to be communicated. And the idea is, if you picture Jesus on the cross, one of the things that, that increases agony is lack of hydration. And Jesus wanted us to hear those last two things. It is finished, and Father, into my hand, thy hands I commend my spirit. So the idea is he needed something so that he could get those words out of his parched throat and mouth 
which is why he said, I thirst. So he intended us to hear them. If not, you would think he would have just maybe whispered or muttered the words to himself. If this was just something that, by this he meant simply, I'm done finally, or finally it's over. He didn't. He wanted you to hear it. He wanted me. He wanted the world to hear these words. It is finished. Tetelestai. And the form of this word, again, now bear with me, because we're going to do some grammar. But you ask, you ask me, you ask yourselves, how do we know that we're right? How do we know that they're not right and we do? This is how we do it. This is how we know, because we go back to what Jesus said, exactly what he said. Study the grammar of this one word. And the word is profoundly informative. And when you do that, there is such clarity. This is again how we sift the error and let it fall out and are left only with what Jesus said and what Jesus meant. So the form of this one word, tetelestai, it is a perfect indicative passive third person. That means nothing to you, but let's dig into that and see what that means. Since Jesus used the third person form, go back to grammar, I, he, she, it. Or I, we, it. He, she, it. Third person, that means he did not say, I am finished. Third person means he meant to and did say, it is finished. The use of the passive tells us that it didn't finish itself. It was finished, obviously by Jesus. Jesus used these two other forms, perfect and indicative, and here's where we get that perfect clarity. The, the base word is to do, to complete, to finish. And the form that he used tells us a couple things. It serves to intensify the action. In other words, totally, absolutely finished, completed. It indicates that the results abide into the present. In other words, what I did here also applies to you. No matter when you hear these words, and that's also why he wanted us to hear them. No matter when you hear them, the results of what I'm doing here abide and apply to you. And then this form finally emphasized the completion of that abiding result. Though it affects you still today, you can add nothing to it. It affects you, but it's complete. There is no other option, is there? What does this leave us with? A clear understanding of exactly what Jesus said, exactly what he meant. It was the work he came to do. It, that work, has been completed. And that work was to provide the full and complete sin payment for mankind. Or the sins of the world. It's just still mind-boggling to try to wrap your mind around the sum total of the world's sin debt. We see so much that's evil and rotten every single day in ourselves and in those around us. And when you accumulate that for our lifetime and then the lifetime of every human being, all of that evil, all of that sin, 
God made his son guilty of that sin. It, my work is done. It, the sin payment has been made. I truly am what John the Baptist called me, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that God sent, that God provided, who takes away the sin of the world. The result of his work, it abides to the present. And it's absolutely complete. It affects us. It applies to us. But you can't add to it. That's what perfectly complete means. To add anything to something that's perfectly complete is to degrade it, is to ruin it. When it's exactly right, it's exactly right. Leave it alone. Accept it as perfect in every way. So just with this one word, at the moment of his death, Jesus assured us, it's done. Everything necessary for your salvation. I did it. It's complete. But it's also yours. Every moment of every day, it's yours. Because your sin was included. Quite a word. And then, to make sure that nobody could reasonably misunderstand. God gave us a visual, didn't he? In another one, in the last of our texts, he gave us an object lesson, something that we could see, experience. It wasn't just words. God offered mankind this. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Do you remember what that temple curtain was? It signified sin. It separated, prevented entrance into where God physically at that time had his presence. And sin, that temple curtain, prevented man from entering that place. And when Jesus died, that temple curtain was torn in two. In other words, that sin barrier has been removed. Could Jesus have meant my part is done, but now you must do your part? Of course not. It's impossible because sin would then still remain. My sin, but sin would still remain. Something would still prevent me from that communication with God that Jesus has truly opened. So God gave us this one last visual proof in case you're still wondering what my son said, the temple curtain is torn. Man now has access, as the writer to the Hebrews so beautifully lays out. We no longer have that Mount Sinai fire and smoke and thundering voice and fear of God. We have a God that we can go to every day in our prayers and say, Our Father, my Father. That relationship has been restored. That happened the moment Jesus yielded up his life. The sin debt had been paid. We're reconciled to God the Father. The Roman soldier got it, didn't he? This was just beyond comprehension to him. 
And he could only utter what we read truly. This man was the Son of God. He'd heard. He'd heard all what the people were saying. He heard what Jesus said. I'm sure he'd never heard anything like what Jesus said. Father, forgive them. But they know not what they're doing. A man who didn't curse and swear and yell back at those people that insulted him. A man who, by the admission of one of the malefactors who admitted his own guilt, admitted Jesus had done nothing wrong. And then he saw the darkness and the earthquake and heard these, man, these words and saw this man, by force of will and love, give up his life. He got it. This wasn't trivial. This wasn't superficial. This wasn't, well, I guess this is it. So then one thing remains for us, where we started, because we have to answer the question for ourselves. What does finished mean to you? Understanding what Jesus said, understanding now what Jesus meant by that single word, it means that nothing is left for you to do. Nothing can be added. You cannot, you need not, you shouldn't even try to take anything that is yours and offer it to God as a payment. That would be an insult to the one who said it is finished. To the one who said it is complete. But you can also use this. Finished now means that anytime Satan comes to you, with temptation or doubt or guilt? You call yourself a Christian? You really think you're a child of God? Does a child of God do that? You promised God you weren't going to do that anymore, and look, you did. Then you take this one word, tetelestai. My Savior said it. And Satan is powerless to do anything. He knows that that means the very things with which he is accusing you, your sin... The debt for that has already been paid. He knows it's inadmissible in God's court. He can't bring it as a charge against you. No one can because God has already paid that, already declared that debt to have been paid by His Son. That's what finished means to you. Your salvation, the payment for your sins, is complete, perfect, holy. And that's how God sees you. Complete perfect and holy, and we think to ourselves, how can this be? I know what I'm like. But God has said, I forgive your sins. I don't remember them anymore. In short, this one word from our Savior means everything in this world and the next. Amen.